I look forward to looking at the last uh, bit of Romans that we're going to be looking at over the course of this series. Next week, we'll begin our Advent series. Crazy to think about Advent, but uh, it is indeed next week. We'll be looking at Isaiah 40, just one chapter over the next uh, four or five weeks as we come into Christmas. But today, we're looking at Romans chapter 15, verses 14 to the end of the chapter. I trust that you will have read it for you already. So I want to start with a guy by the name of Wilson Snowflake Bentley. He grew up on a farm in Jericho, Vermont. As a young boy, he developed a fascination with snowflakes. Obsession might be the better word for it. Uh, Most people go indoors during the snowstorms, but not Wilson. He would run outside when the flakes started falling. He would catch them on black velvet, look under them, look at them under a microscope, take photographs of them before they melted. Uh, his, His first photo micrograph of a snowflake was taken on January 15, 1885. Here's what he had to say about snowflakes. He said, under the microscope, I found that snowflakes were miracles of beauty. And it seemed a shame that this beauty could not be seen and appreciated by others. Every crystal was a masterpiece of design and no one design was ever repeated. When a snowflake melted, that particular design was forever lost. Just that much beauty was gone without leaving any record behind. Wilson was the first known photographer of snowflakes, and he pursued this passion for more than 50 years. He amassed a collection of over 5,381 photographs, uh, and finally he published his magnum opus titled Snow Crystals. It's quite something, especially when you put it in context of its time period from 1885 to 1930, roughly, to think about all those photographs, snowflakes, truly was a passion. Today in the passage that we read, I I think you got a sense of the passion that Paul had for the work that he was given. He says in verse 15, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified to the Holy Spirit. He goes on in verse 18 to say, for I will venture, uh, I will not venture to speak of anything Accept what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. Paul's passion, Paul's purpose in life was to share the gospel, particularly with the Gentiles. We'll see in this passage, it wasn't exclusively with the Gentiles, but that was his passion. Everything that he did in life was oriented around this idea. And part of what 
we are encountering today is the the passion that Paul has as he writes about it and and he shares it and the invitation to participate in his passion but also implicitly the invitation to identify our own passion because I think what we see as we read through this final section uh, in which Paul is appealing to the Roman church to be a part of his mission team is just the realization that we are all on mission, that all of our life is for a greater purpose uh, with regards to the gospel and the spread of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to dive through this uh, passage with you and notice several things. Uh, I have them organized uh, with three bunch of S's, a spiritual strategy, a sacrificial sharing, and a special striving. So first of all, uh, the spiritual strategy. Uh, there are a couple of things just to highlight here that I think are both uh, challenging as well as freeing in some sense. You notice in verse 18, Paul says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. He goes on in verse 19, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. Here we see that Paul's passion is to the Gentiles. More on that in just a minute. But his method is by word and deed, by the power of the Spirit. Uh, through uh, signs and wonders. Uh, what do we say about these things? Well, first of all, just note that it's word and deed. Paul was very conscious about how he lived his life physically among people. And to the church in Thessalonia, he said, uh, you know how I lived among you. Uh, gentle and, and passionate, all of these things. But he oftentimes would not only appeal to the words that he said, but to his manner of life. And of course, this he got from the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, not only spoke and taught great things, but he was among them demonstrating his compassion. He had compassion on the crowds like a sheep uh, or like a, uh, like a shepherd with his sheep. Uh, and he would often stay up late at night healing people. There is always this combination of word and deed. And this is something, of course, that comes to us uh, in a similar way. It's an invitation to live our lives, to continue to be uh, intentional about not only the things that we say, but also the things that we do. And it really has to be both. Some people have really emphasized these words attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, whether he ever said them or not, uh, is debatable. Preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Uh, I, I get the sentiment of that, you know, the idea that our lives are to be so authentic and full of gospel themselves that they should sort of dominate the landscape and we don't rely on our words. But Paul says here he uses word and deed. So take a look at your life, whatever, uh, 
where where do you put the emphasis? Do you put the emphasis on word? Consider your deeds. Where are you getting involved? Do you put the emphasis on deed and you are more reticent with words? Consider the fact that your words need to match your deeds. Uh, we are invited to both of these things. Paul goes on to say, verse 19, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. Some people have wondered what this means, these signs and wonders. Paul did do miracles. We will see this later on uh, in his story, the book of Acts. Remember, he was bitten by the snake and it had no, uh, no though it was a viper, it had no effect on him. Uh, Paul also was involved in other miraculous situations. Uh, this seems to be, though, a formula. The only other time he uses these three words in relation to his ministry is in 2 Corinthians 12. And here I'm quoting from John Stott, where he points out that Paul calls these things the mark of an apostle or the signs of a true apostle, that is power, uh, signs, and wonders. So this is obviously not to deny that God can perform miracles today, for it would be ludicrous to impose limitations on the creator of the universe, but it's rather to acknowledge, and again, this is Stott that I quote from, that the chief purpose in this time as Paul is laying it out was to authenticate the unique ministry of the apostle. Part of the reason why I say that is, you know, there are some people that really look for these types of things uh, in our own life in order to legitimate uh, or legitimize God's work in our lives and, and would denigrate something that doesn't have them. Uh, but I, I am not sure that's exactly how Paul means for us to interpret those things. I would just go back to the broader category of word and deed. As we speak the truths of God's word, our lives should also uh, fulfill that in terms of the way that we bless people. More on that in just a minute. The other thing that I want to highlight here with regards to the spiritual strategy is that Paul is very focused on He's very focused on bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. Notice what he says at the end of verse 19 going forward. He says that from Jerusalem all the way around the Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on somebody else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Uh, he even goes on in verse 22 or verse 23 to say, Now, since I had no longer have room for work in these regions, and since I've longed to come to you and then coming to you go beyond Rome even to Spain, he's going to do something. Paul, uh, Paul was so clear on his work that he, he considered his work finished in this uh, Illicrium crest here, which was uh, Asia Minor, Greece, 
Turkey, you know, modern day Greece, Turkey, these areas. He considered his work done. Why? Because every person had heard the gospel? No. But because he had established centers in every major city along the way, places like Corinth and Ephesus and Philippi and uh, all of these different places. He'd established a church there. He had put elders uh, and other church leaders in place to build out the discipleship. And then Paul said, I'm done. I'm out of here. Have I shared the gospel with every single person? No, but I've done the work that I have been called to do. I find that very fascinating and also very freeing. You know, Paul obviously was very passionate about the work that God had given him to do, but he was also very clear on its limitations. And so he didn't feel compelled, even though not every person had heard the gospel from his lips, he didn't feel compelled to stay there. He felt free to move on. And I think part of that is instructive for us as we see you know, that we each have a particular calling to something. I don't, I don't know what your calling is uh, over the years. Lisa and I have discerned certain things in our life. Uh, some of it uh, specifically has to do with uh, helping people see the beauty of the gospel, particularly people who have maybe grown up in a religious context helping to expand the beauty of the gospel and the freedom that it brings us. We also have had a ministry with regards to foster care, uh, with regards to adoption. We believe it's something the Lord has called us to. Now, there are lots of other ministries in this world. There are lots of other places to put emphasis, but these are the things that we've seen have been our emphasis, and they don't necessarily need to be your emphasis. Uh, just like bringing the gospel to the Gentiles doesn't have to be our emphasis exactly in the way that it was Paul's. But what we do have to recognize is that each of us is given a calling. And if you can't give words to your passion, if you cannot give words to what it is that God has called you to do, then we are invited to pursue that in prayer. We're invited to, uh, to really seek out and to know these things. Because while we are not called to do everything, and incidentally, this is both as individuals and as churches. This is why it's important that we have a body of different churches throughout Grand Rapids, because each church will have its own particular emphases. So while we are not called to do everything, everything. We are called to do a significant something. Paul's something was to establish centers for the gospel in these Gentile regions. Specifically, he went to cities. Specifically, uh, he, he wanted to get into the epicenter of what they were doing. What is your calling? What is our calling as Christ Church? These are things that we need to be able to to give some articulation to. The second thing that I want you to note from this passage is the sacrificial sharing that we are invited to. Here we see this in 22 to 29. Here Paul uh, specifically is laying out his purpose for going to Rome. His purpose for going to Rome was to invite them to share in the ministry of the gospel that he so clearly articulates for himself. Uh, he wants to them to share 
uh, specifically verse 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go on to Spain uh, to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. Uh, At the present, however, I am going to bring this aid to Jerusalem that I've been collecting in Macedonia and Acacia. Uh, These people were pleased to do this uh, because it is their spiritual service to the saints at Jerusalem. A couple of things. Uh, One is this. Uh, Paul is very practical about laying out the needs for ministry and inviting the Roman Christians uh, to participate in those needs. Um, the, the verb that's translated to be helped along the way, propeno, uh, seems already have to become an almost technical Christian term for helping missionaries on their way. It undoubtedly meant more than good wishes and a valedictory prayer. In most cases, it also involves supplying them with provisions, money, and sometimes providing them with an escort to accompany them at least part of the way. So actually, the dictionary definition of propempo is to help on one's journey with food, money, by arranging for companions, means of travel, etc. Paul was very practical in laying out this need before the Roman church, and he was saying, we need you to participate in in the, the ministry that God has called us to do. And then notice he says in verse 27, this is part of their discipleship. Uh, He says with regards to the offering that he was taking for the Jerusalem Christians, uh, that uh, the folks that he had collected for were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to also be of service to them, that is the Jewish Christians, in material blessings. So Paul is saying here a principle of, uh, of thanksgiving, a principle of discipleship, that when, when we have realized what we receive spiritually from Christ, then it is our obligation, it is our great delight, it's our great privilege to share uh, in other ways that we have been blessed, physically, materially, other ways, um, with people who are in need of those things. So when we talk about the sacrificial sharing, two things come to mind. First of all, one, it should be very practical. It should involve our time, our talents, uh, our finances. It should involve any way that we can be generous is something that God is calling us to be generous to and share these things in the pursuit of the gospel story. And then secondly, note that this is part of our discipleship. It's part of us recognizing what God has given us and part of um, a part of our response to him. You know, we're coming up on Thanksgiving this week and it just reminds us that the discipline of Thanksgiving is something that is very crucial for us, uh, that it is one of the ways in which God uh, sets us free and uh, and delivers us from our self-centeredness, delivers us from uh, just uh, an ingratitude or a focus on the things that we don't have. When we give, 
we give in such a way that it brings joy to us. John Calvin, in a different passage, this is in his Institutes, book three, uh, chapter seven, paragraph seven. He says, uh, each Christian, um, he's talking about generosity and, and charity, grace, uh, giving to other people. Uh, and he, he is saying that it's because of each person is made in the image of God with the beauty and the dignity that allures us to love and embrace them. He says, each Christian will, shall so consider himself a debtor to his neighbor that he ought in exercising kindness toward them to set no other limit than the end of his resources. Wow. That is really a bold, bold statement, but it's in line with what Paul is saying here. He's saying there is a, a gospel mission that is going on, and I am inviting you to share in this, both for the work that is going on in Jerusalem, incidentally, a work that was happening amongst Christian. So uh, I, I said Paul's focus was on the Gentiles, but he also cared about those who were Jewish Christians and, and he attended to their needs as well. Um, but also then the work that was going beyond to the frontiers, uh, Spain in this case, which is where Paul's heart was. Whether he ever made it to Spain or not, we don't really know, uh, but we certainly learn some things here about the call to participate in discipleship. The last thing that I want to note with you is the special striving that Paul uh, finally invites these Roman Christians to. He says in verse 30, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. It's, a, it's an interesting construct, the way that he starts in verse 30. It really brings us back to the beginning verses of 12, where he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Spirit, that is, the love uh, which the Spirit has placed in us and on us, the resources that we have that Paul has been talking about. These are such a way that he brings together so many of the different themes that he's been talking about. Remember, he talked about, oh, no man, anything except the debt to love one another. He's appealed to us by the mercies of God. Here he appeals to us again. And one of the primary things that he asked for, in addition to the things that we've already talked about, is uh, prayer. To strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. It's interesting that he mentions those two things. And really, I think in all of our prayers, especially for gospel service, uh, these two categories are always important, that uh, 
that God's servants would be protected from opposition that would cause it harm. And certainly Paul experienced that when he got to Jerusalem. You know that uh, these prayers are answered after a fashion, uh, the prayers that Paul is asking for here. He, he does make it to Rome, albeit he is a prisoner, and it's by way of shipwreck, and there's, uh, he was captured in Jerusalem. So in some ways, uh, the prayers are answered, but in other ways, it's, it's not expected. But Paul, Paul prays that he's delivered for oppos- from opposition, and then he prays that the work that he does will be a benefit to believers, that it will be a benefit to those that were to, acceptable to the saints, is the phrase that he uses there at the end of verse 31. And those are things that we should always be praying for as we pray for the ministries of the church, as we pray for the ministries of the church here in Grand Rapids, that we would be protected from opposition and, and that the work would be acceptable to the saints, both the saints that we know inside the church as well as the saints that God has selected who are currently outside the church. This is what we are to pray for. And and Paul appeals to the church to pray for them. He urges them. This is not something that he takes lightly. He says, I need you to strive together in prayer with me for these things. Uh, Paul uses that word strive together because This is not to be just a passing and momentary sort of one-off type thing, but something that we are to be fervent about, something that we are to persistently bring before God. I think sometimes we, we struggle with the idea of prayer you know, and how do we how do we strive in it? What does it it look like? I mean, we read on the one hand, Luke six and some of the Jesus's teachings about prayer, where he says, "Don't make it showy like the uh, Pharisees do with all kinds of words." And we think, well, we just have to keep it quiet. We we really shouldn't share the things that we pray about. But then there are other places like Luke eighteen, where Jesus tells the um, the story about the persistent widow. And and uh, he says, you know, so should our prayers be to God, that we should be persistent, that we should strive in prayer, because even if unjust judges, like in the parable in Luke 18, will answer, how much more will your heavenly Father? So much of this, you know, while it seems contradictory, has to do with the heart. What Jesus is saying in Luke 6 is to people who think that they can earn something or that they will accrue benefit to themselves because of prayer. What Jesus is saying in in Luke 6 is, you know, don't think about prayer as the kind of lever that gains you things from God. But nonetheless, uh, be persistent, strive, pursue uh, God in prayer because his heart is moved by his people. And this is what Paul is saying here. He's saying, strive together with me 
in your prayers, uh, that I would be protected from the opposition, that the work would be acceptable and beneficial to the saints, uh, so that this greater purpose of the gospel would be uh, would come to fulfillment, that I would come to you with joy, that I would be refreshed in your company, that I could go on uh, to Spain, the place that God has really laid on my heart. And then he says this, may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. You know, Paul ends almost all of his letters. He often begins his letters by saying grace to you and mercy and peace to you, these types of things. But he always ends his letters, and you can look this up throughout various letters by saying grace, peace, be with you all. There's uh, there's a real difference there. You know, there in the beginning, Paul is saying grace to you. But as he sends out, as it were, his people from his uh, correspondence, he says, grace be with you. Remember that you do not go by yourselves. Or in this case, uh, it's may the God of peace be with you. Here he specifically uses a, a Jewish benediction, uh, but he says it over his Gentile readers. Um, one person puts it this way. He says he chooses this time to call God the God of peace or reconciliation. Shalom or peace is a central Jewish concern and that he deliberately writes uh, with you all are three suggestive pointers. They seem to indicate that Paul's mind is preoccupied to the end with Jewish Gentile unity. As uh, has been put by Professor Dunn, uh, Paul the Jew, who is an apostle to the Gentiles, says the Jewish benediction over his Gentile readers. It's such a beautiful promise to us. The, the title of this sermon was Sheathed in Shalom. You know, as we think about this call to participate in ministry, you know, this is what Paul has been driving to throughout the book of Romans. He's saying the gospel is so great, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It stands over and against the gospel of the empire, and it's so much more beautiful. Let me tell you about it. Let me show you how this affects the way you live your lives, chapter 12 to 15. And now here at the end of chapter 15, let me invite you to participate in this gospel spread, to give your money sacrificially, to strive together with me in prayer, to identify your own passion, to identify your own passion that would mark your life until the very end. And be assured uh, that you will go forward with the God of peace accompanying you. That is the promise. You are sheathed in shalom even as you go forward. Do you remember uh, our friend Wilson Snowflake Bentley? All of his life, he was passionate about the snowflakes. He printed his magnum opus, snow crystals, 5,381 photographs. Uh, of these unique, beautiful snowflakes, each one of them 
capturing the beauty of the Lord, capturing the passion of this one man. And he kept this passion until he died. December 1931, he was enthralled by yet another snowstorm. But this time, when he went out into the snow, walking six miles through a severe snowstorm, he contracted pneumonia and he never recovered. He died in the service of his passion. This was the Apostle Paul's uh, testimony as well. Uh, from the very moment that the Lord got a hold of his heart till the very moment that he laid his head in the arms of his Savior, he continued to pursue his passion. And this is our invitation as well. There is the broad passion of the gospel that continues to go out bigger than we ever would have dreamed or imagined, uh, pushing beyond the borders that we can contrive in our own mind. This broad passion down to our central passions. What is it? How is it that God has called you, me, to participate in this? How can we as Christ church enable those passions to go forward? May God give us grace to carry this to the very end of our days. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. and We thank you for uh, the passion that we see, the heart of Paul that is on display for us here in this passage. We ask now that you would connect us with the, the magnanimous, overflowing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that you would help us to connect with the calling that you have given to each of us. Lord, we pray for our ministry here in the West Michigan area. Uh, may we be holding forth all the beauty uh, of the gospel that we've received in Jesus Christ. May we not rest until every person uh, every port of call that we can make has been called upon. And, and we, by word and by deed, have shared the good news of Jesus. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, be on the lookout for other things that are happening. Hopefully you connected with the Thanksgiving service that is going to be happening this week, Wednesday. I hope that you can join us via video and uh, we can share our Thanksgiving together. God bless. We'll see you. Goodbye.